to the All In Podcast. As you can tell, things look a little bit uh, different this evening. If you're listening, we're going to have a little bit of a different setup uh, tonight. But my name is Tim Aiken, pastor here at First Baptist Church, Douglasville, and going to have more of a Bible study tonight than a discussion. But so far on the All In Podcast this year, we've had an incredible start to the year. And what we're talking about is what does it look like to go all in with Jesus, with His church, and with His mission. So we really began talking about what that looks like in our personal life, through our personal testimony, or what it may look like for a call to ministry and things like that. Then we talked about what does that look like financially? Okay, How do we treasure Jesus above all? How do we use our finances to be all in with Him, all in with His church, all in with His Mission. Then for the last several weeks, we've talked about what does it look like to go all in on theology? How do we have the right doctrine? How do we believe the right things about the Bible and about God and about Jesus and salvation and the church? What does it look like to go all in theologically with Jesus, His church, and His mission? So we're going to be off next week on the podcast as many people will be uh, on spring break. But then we will return the week after spring break on April the 14th, and we will re-kick up our all-in podcast and our discussions with, with guests and things like that for about 10 weeks as we talk about what does it look like to go all-in in, in our relationships. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about uh, family. We're going to talk about friendships and what does it look like to go all-in with Jesus in all of these relationships in our life. But before we get to that in a couple weeks tonight, what I want to do is just to have a, a simple uh, Bible study as we are in the midst of what we call Passion Week. We are in the midst of the most important week in human history, in the midst of the most important week in our lives. If you are familiar with Passion Week and familiar with the Bible, then you know that this is the time where it began with Jesus and His triumphal Entry, Jesus entering with his disciples into the city of Jerusalem, the week of Passover, the, the largest Jewish feast where millions of Jews would pour in from all over the world. They would come to Jerusalem, they would remember, they would celebrate God delivering them from nearly 450 years of slavery in Egypt. And so Jesus arrives into Jerusalem, really celebrated as a king. Many people are honoring him and praising Him, and that happens on Sunday. We call that Palm Sunday with the triumphal entry. But as the week continues, as you get closer to the end of the week, eventually you come to Thursday night, sometimes called Monday, Thursday, and you come to the time that we call the Last Supper, that is Jesus Christ having that final meal with His disciples, essentially instituting what we now call the Lord's Supper. Right after that meal, they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus and His disciples spend time in prayer and solitude. His disciples, they struggle. They, they fall asleep and Jesus spends time crying out to the Lord as He is getting ready to be arrested and then to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So then on the next day, we call that Good Friday. That is the day that Jesus Christ goes to the cross for the sins of the world. He's buried well, by God's grace and God's power on Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, He rises again from the dead. And so we're in the midst of celebrating that this week. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to look at perhaps the clearest passage of Scripture in the Bible 
that prophesies about, that foreshadows, and that foretells the, uh, the, 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 about the crucifixion of Jesus, the most well-known in the Old Testament, that is. So if you have your Bibles or you want to turn your Bibles on, go to Isaiah chapter 52. In just a moment, we're going to read Isaiah 52, verse 13, all the way through Isaiah 53. Oftentimes, this passage of Scripture is called the suffering servant. I've heard one uh, commentator call this the passage of the exalted sin bearer. Jesus Christ bearing the sins of the world, but being exalted by God Himself. If you are familiar with the book of Isaiah at all, then you know that there are four of what we call the servant songs in Isaiah, four of these songs describing God's servant, ultimately describing God's Messiah, God's anointed one, God's Savior. And here in Isaiah 52, verse 13, through Isaiah 53, verse 12, we come to the final of these four songs. And we get a picture of what this Messiah is going to be like and what this Messiah is going to do. We're going to see that this Messiah is indeed the suffering servant who removes the guilt of sinners by his innocent sacrifice. Now, as we walk through these verses, you'll see three main subjects, three main characters. Anytime you see or hear the word I, know that is God speaking. Anytime you see or hear the word he, know that is talking about the servant who we believe is fulfilled as Jesus. And then anytime you see or hear the word we, that is talking about us, you and me, sinful Humanity that need the innocent sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. And this passage of Scripture is cited and recited time and time again in the New Testament. We believe that Jesus, no doubt, fulfills this prophecy. Uh, There's a great book that I use to teach my children about the Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I love the subtitle of that book. It says, Every Story whispers his name. It's making the point that the entire Bible, while it might not say the name of Jesus at every point, especially in the Old Testament, all of the Bible is ultimately pointing to the person and to the work of Jesus Christ. When we come to Isaiah 52 and 53, I would say this story doesn't whisper his name. This story shouts his name. We're going to see that very clearly this evening. So let's jump in. Let's read. We'll stop along the way and make some comments as we have this Bible study. Verse 13, Isaiah 52. Isaiah writes these words under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. He says, Behold, my servant, again, God talking, shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Here you could summarize these three verses as saying that the servant looked repulsive, but he achieved redemption. What we're told about in verses 13, 14, and 15 essentially is the brutal crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says that His appearance was marred beyond human sinless. This is speaking very clearly of the fact that Jesus' body was broken on the cross for your sins and 
my sins. If you've ever before seen the movie entitled The Passion of the Christ, that movie that came out many years ago that so vividly portrays the crucifixion of Jesus, it's difficult to watch that movie because that movie portrays exactly what it would have been like. Jesus' body being ripped to shreds, beaten into oblivion for your sins and for my sins. Why? Because it says in verse 15 that he shall sprinkle many nations. That word sprinkle there means that the nations will be made clean. They will be purified through the washing of his blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right, can take away our sins. And so it was through the beaten and broken body of Jesus Christ that he ultimately achieved our redemption. He achieved our redemption because the Bible says that God's wrath and God's punishment for sin, it demands death. So instead of you having to die, instead of me having to die, Jesus Christ goes into our place. He takes on our death penalty. He takes on the very wrath of God for the sins of the entire world. And through that, he buys you, he buys me back from slavery into sin, into Satan, and to death. See, Jesus came on Passover week as the Jews were remembering God delivering them from physical slavery in Egypt. And if you remember in the Bible, when Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist, the forerunner of his ministry, says, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, on this Passover, Jesus Christ was coming to take away the sins of the world, to buy us back through His broken body and His shed blood. Look there, verse 1 of Isaiah 53. Isaiah goes on, Who has believed what He has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, the servant, grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And these three verses describe the servant as living in rejection. Now, when we see here that there was nothing great about his form or majesty, he's not necessarily saying that Jesus was weak. It's not necessarily saying that Jesus was, was ugly, that he wasn't handsome. What it's simply saying is that Jesus was normal. Other than the fact that he was God's son, humanly speaking, what people saw with their eyes, he was just normal. Remember his story. As a baby, he is born to a, a, a mother that is a peasant, uneducated, a young teenage mother. In fact, he is born uh, in a situation that is very controversial. A virgin uh, a mother who, who's never been with a man, and then the man considering and contemplating divorce, but yet God brings them together. They're, they're poor. And he's born in the little out-of-the-way town of Bethlehem. He grows up in a little fishing village called Nazareth. He grows up the son of a poor carpenter. He becomes a carpenter. He becomes a homeless pastor and preacher and teacher and minister. There's nothing fancy about Jesus. Jesus was humble 
And we're also told in the Gospels that he was rejected by the very people that he came to save. But yet Jesus went through that rejection. Jesus went through these struggles and these sorrows for you and for me. And he's acquainted with the sorrows of seeing the sin and the brokenness of the world and yet standing in our place on the cross. Jesus was rejected by man. Jesus was rejected by God because of his sin so that you and I could be accepted by God. Think about that. Jesus was rejected by God himself in that moment when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says that because God in his righteousness and in his holiness, he cannot look upon sin and Jesus is bearing the sins of the world. Jesus is rejected. So you and I can be called sons and daughters of the king. This is just incredible. Look there, verse 4. Isaiah goes on, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You could summarize this by saying that the servant was innocent. It says very clearly that he died for us. He died for our sins. And let's be clear. All of us are sinners. All of us, the Bible says, fall short of the glory of God. None of us can achieve our own salvation. None of us are good enough to be forgiven. None of us can earn God's favor. It is all the work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you've made some really bad and big mistakes in your past and you would be considered a great sinner. You need Jesus. It wouldn't matter if most of your life you've done the right things and you're super spiritual and you think you're religious and you've done all of the right works. You need Jesus. He says that we all have been led astray. But then he also tells us that Jesus is innocent. He's like that innocent lamb who doesn't say anything. He doesn't speak out. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't fight for himself. Why? So that he can take away our sins, so that he can be our substitute sacrifice. Continue reading there in verse 7. Isaiah says, He was oppressed and was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment. He was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Listen to verse 9 and think about the New Testament. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. You really could summarize this and say that the servant dies in innocence. Let's be very clear. One of the things that we always want to get right about our view of Jesus is that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Jesus was indeed fully God and fully man. And one of the things we want to make sure that we are crystal clear on that Jesus was 100% sinless. There was never a time in the life of Jesus, even as a young boy, all the way he died as a 33-year-old man, where Jesus rebelled and went against the design of God. He completely com kept, completely completed, and completely fulfilled the law and the commands of God. 
Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Where you failed, Jesus succeeded. Where I failed, Jesus succeeded. And then we're told there in verse 9 that his burial was among the wicked. Think about the fact that Jesus dies on a cross with sinners on his right and sinners on his left. He is crucified with criminals. But then if you remember the story, his body's taken off the cross and there's a rich man named Joseph that wants to bury him correctly and properly and honor him. This story shouts the name of Jesus. We know that that is fulfilled in the Gospels. As Jesus is put into the tomb and that mighty rock is rolled over. He died in his innocence. And here's the deal. Jesus died voluntarily. Jesus volitionally chose to die on your behalf and on my behalf. And then let's read the rest of the passage. Verse 10, yet he, yet it was the will of the Lord. Please do not miss that pause there for a minute. Make sure that your theology is so strong that you understand that God can use evil, that God uses evil for good. If you ever wonder how can God use evil for good, all you have to do is look at the cross. God took the greatest evil ever committed, the only perfect human to ever live, the very Son of God died for you and for me. And yet God took that evil and God used it for good. He used it as a way to forgive you and to forgive me. It was God's will to crush him. Verse 10, continue. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Stop. How's he going to prolong his days if he's suffering? He's going to prolong his days through the resurrection. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Pause there. You and I are made righteous. We looked at it this past Sunday in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's called the great exchange. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The sinlessness of Jesus was given to you. Your sin was given to him. And now your righteousness is found in Christ. It is found when you put your faith and trust in him. One day, every person is going to stand before what's called the great white throne judgment. And the reason that you will be allowed into a heaven is because God will see the righteousness of Jesus in you if you've turned from your sins and put your faith and your trust in Christ. Lastly, verse 12, Therefore I, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You can summarize verses 10, 11, and 12 by saying the servant was crushed, but he was victorious. If you're listening this evening and you indeed are a Christian, you've indeed repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As we say all the time here at First Baptist, you're not fighting for victory. No, 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 no. You are fighting from victory. Jesus has already won the battle for you. The guilt and the shame of your past sins have been conquered. 
you're no longer going to face Satan and, 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 and death and, and, and hell. You're going to reign victorious one day in the presence of Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And the Bible says here that you have a great mediator. His name is Jesus Christ. He takes your prayers on your behalf. He takes them to God. You yourself get to go straight to the great throne of God because of Jesus Christ. He is the one that has made the way for you. He has made the way for me. So if you're listening tonight and you are a Christian, may for the rest of this week, may for every single day of your life, may you simply bask in the goodness and in the glorious truth of the gospel. May you wake up every day and may you live a gospel-centered, a cross-centered, a Christ-centered life knowing that you've been made new because of Jesus. And perhaps you're listening tonight or perhaps tonight you know a friend or a family member that's never before turned from their sins and put their faith in Christ. It is our prayer. It is my challenge. It is my encouragement to you that if you've never before put your faith in Christ, that you would make that decision this week. If you know somebody, that you would live on mission, that you'd ask God to have the opportunity in the boldness to invite them to be with us for our Good Friday service this coming Friday at 7 o'clock, to be with us for our Easter service either at 915 or 1045, to hear the gospel, to repent of their sin, to put their faith and trust in the exalted sin bearer. I cannot wait this week to gather with you, our church family, to celebrate our resurrected King. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the incredible truth of your word, this incredible prophecy, hundreds of years before Jesus came. Father, we thank you that he is indeed the exalted sin bearer. Father, we pray that this week we give him all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise that is due his name. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I pray that you have a wonderful Easter weekend. Look forward to being back with you on the podcast in a couple of weeks. We pray that you have a wonderful